All right, so I've been, I've been unpacking, unpacking a bit of a series, an evolving series that's kind of unpacking itself, really. And, and I started with the God we know a couple of weeks back, a few weeks back, and then, then last week I was speaking about knowing ourselves and, and how our entire being, our spirit, soul, and body um, is supposed to prosper. Amen? Who knows? God wants us to prosper in spirit, soul, and body, you know? And so something in the scripture that I was reading from last week um, really stood out to me. And I was reading out of 3 John, and, and there's this theme with John that um, he loves this word truth. He loves this word truth. And 3 John's only about 15 verses long. I think it's pretty short. But he, he mentions the word truth a bunch of different times. And um, in 3 John, John writes this, this comment, walking in truth, walking in truth. And he was, he was happy to hear Gaius was walking in truth. And so what, is this, what does he really mean, walking in truth? What, is, what does that mean? What, what does that look like practically for us to be walking in truth? And so, um, <clears throat> oh my gosh, what did you do to this, Sonny? <laughs> so what does it mean for us to be walking in truth? And if you look at the context of John's writing, uh, truth was a big deal. Truth was a big deal. It's, it should be a big deal for us now too, you know. And so um, in, the, in the time John was writing this, this thing called Gnosticism was a big issue that the apostles were kind of combating against. And um, Gnosticism held this dualistic thinking that we, we've kind of you know, we mentioned briefly last week about the natural was evil and the spiritual was good. And so because of this, um, the Gnostic thinking brought around this idea that Jesus didn't really come in the flesh. He was like a ghost. And so um, I'm not going to go into details about Gnosticism, but, um, but we see John writing against this thinking that's happening in the churches. And in his first epistle, he reminds them that, that they, the apostles were the ones who had fellowship with Jesus, that they heard and they saw and they touched him, and, and that they were the eyewitnesses, the eyewitnesses that the word had become flesh, that the word had become flesh. And John's reminding them that truth, um, and this, this um, reminding them of this truth, and, and that teaching and thinking, our teaching and our thinking needs to align with this truth of who Jesus is. And you see, Gnosticism wasn't a religion. It was a philosophy. It was a way of thinking. It was a, it was a mindset that was influencing Christians and, and, and the way they were thinking. And it was leading them to believe things like secret knowledge was required for salvation. It was really robbing them of truth. And this, this mindset was shifting believers away from, from faith and into knowledge. It was shifting them away from faith and into knowledge, which was heavily influenced by this really bad philosophy and, and mindset. And so, you know, it's the same reason that we have Apostle Paul in his, in his writing to the church in Colossae, you know, which is the book of Colossians, his letter to the church in Colossae. And it's, I mean, what we call today is the Colossian heresy. And it's the same thing. The same issue was happening. This whole thing of Gnosticism is what Paul is challenging. And in 2 John, 2 John verses 8 and 9, 
John writes against being led away um, by those teachings and going further than Jesus, or, or, or actually teaching more than Jesus taught. And personally, I'm okay with extra-biblical, because I don't think everything is in the Bible. Depends on your definition of extra-biblical. But I'm not okay with extra-Jesus. Now, we like extra-Jesus, but not extra-Jesus, okay? <laughs> we like extra-Jesus. We like studying the Word of God. But anything that is more than Jesus, we don't want to entertain, right? He is the standard. He is the anchor of everything that we want to, to learn about. Amen? He's the gold standard. If it doesn't resonate with who he is, we don't want to entertain it. We don't, we don't want to pursue it. We don't want to think anything that doesn't look like him. And so truth was a big deal for John. This is, when you think about John, this is the man who, who leant on the chest of Jesus. Now, this is the guy who wrote about himself and said, I'm the one Jesus loves. You know, who knows? That's not from a place of like um, self-boasting. I think that's just from a place of just completely being abandoned to the love of Jesus. John knew Jesus. They did life together. And the revelation John had is that Jesus is truth. Jesus is the truth. And he writes in his own gospel. And I think actually John's the only one who writes this in the gospel, I think, where Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. You know, truth is a person. It's Jesus. And in First John, <clears throat> in First John, he compares those who abide in Jesus to walking in truth or light. That those who abide in Jesus in truth are ones who walk in light. And those, even if they say they're believers but are not practicing truth, even if they confess they're believers but they're not practicing truth, are ones that walk in darkness. And as believers, we've been called to walk in truth. Amen? Walk in truth. Um, walking in truth is not only about what we believe, but it has a tangible experience with it. It's... Um, Truth is displayed in action. Truth is displayed in action. You know, and in 3 John, and we, we kind of touched on this a little bit last week, you know, we were talking about how um, Apostle John was praising Gaius for his hospitality, for his actions, for his conduct, his love. And he, John said that his love was not just an emotion. It was an action. There was, there was an action related to this truth that Gaius was walking in of love, and it, there was an action to it. It wasn't just this emotional thing. Gaius was walking the talk. He was living as one who was in Christ, even in the middle of this difficult situation that we touched on last week, which means you have to listen to the podcast if you weren't here. And you can do that once Mel's back and she puts it up. <laughs> Gaius was a man faithfully walking in truth. And it was evident in the way that he conducted himself. You know? And I was, I was thinking about these thoughts. <clears throat> and I was thinking on the idea of how, how things that are true and the truth, things that are true and the truth are often different. Things that are true... And the truth are often different. good example of that is if you went down to the beach and you decided to walk across the beach and into the water, 
you're going to go into the water. That's true, right? Peter got out of the boat and had experience with truth when he walked on the water. Things that are true are like facts, but then truth is the person Jesus and changes everything. <clears throat> See, there, there are things in life that are true. They're facts. But things that are true are not absolute. A fact is not necessarily an absolute. Truth, on the other hand, is an absolute because it's Jesus, and he never changes. So life, life is full of things that are true, that are facts, but only in Jesus do we get to walk in truth. Okay, I confused you yet? There's a lot of truths and truths. Okay, I'm trying to do more of them than John did. It will make sense if you're confused later. Okay, so truth, truth transforms. It, it changes reality. It changes fact. You know, for example, if, if it's true that humanity fell, and we know the story of Adam and Eve, and we know that the humanity did fall, that's true, right? That's a fact. But, what, but in Jesus, we have this truth that we have died and risen with him and are seated in heavenly places. The later is greater than the former. One thing is true, one thing's factual, but then truth comes and everything changes. You know, and as believers, we have to be intentional about leaning into truth in the middle of things that are true. Leaning into truth in the middle of things that are true. So what does this look like? Because this sounds great, hey? But what does it look like? How do we do this? What does it look like practically in our lives? How do we, how do we as believers walk in truth? Um, how do we anchor ourselves on that journey? And I think one of the things we can do is we can build a list. We can create a list. And whatever you're going through in life, there's, there's a list of things that are true. In whatever situation you're in, there's a list of facts about your situation, right? <coughs> and a couple of ways you can do this, and, and, and you may be a person who processes well by literally writing down something. You might just literally write down a whole lot of facts about your situation. But if you're like me, you kind of do it in your head. And so whatever works for you, do that. I do it in my head because I can't read my writing. But, <coughs> you know... Some of you might have that problem too. Whatever works for you, but it's creating a list of things that are true related to your situation. Creating a list of things that are facts to your situation. But we don't want to stop there. Because who knows, a lot of situations are pretty messy and usually that list doesn't look very good. So we don't want to stick there, right? We want to then compare those things with, with the, uh, that are true on this list uh, with things that are truth. Things that are related to Jesus. So we take the things that are related to our circumstance, you know, we take the facts that are related to our situation, and we compare them to the truth that is connected with Jesus. We take the facts that are related to our situation and we compare them to the truth that is connected with Jesus. You know, for example, this is probably uh, one a lot of us can relate to, buying a house in Auckland, you know? That's so easy, eh? You know? 
Who knows, for a lot of people, that's a dream far, far away. It's like a fairy tale book now. You know, but for us personally, speaking from our own experience, that's something we want to do. We want to buy a house in Auckland, you know? Some people think that's insanity. And, and I realized that although we love this idea, we love this idea of buying a house in Auckland, part of us thought it was impossible. There was something in us that was actually like, that's not going to happen. And, and so actually we were, we were not intentional in our thinking about actioning something. Because walking in truth, well, walking means you're doing something, right? So there's an action related to truth. <clears throat> And so related to buy a house, we, we had a, a list of things that made this look too hard. You know, the big thing, of course, that affects so many people is the deposit. You know, like you can service a mortgage, no problems, but you don't have that deposit. You know, and the deposit's now colossal. Who knows that this is really an issue of the soul, not an issue of finances? This is, this is not about money. This is not about finance. This is an issue of the soul an issue of the soul. And so I had to challenge my thinking and, and say to myself, no, I'm going to be intentional about this. And, and this thought leads to changed action. This is, this is dangerous stuff to do. If you don't want to move into amazing things in your life, don't do this, okay? So I had to change my thinking. And when I change my thinking, it leads to changed action. I'm going to walk differently. So... We now, we're now convinced of possibility. But not only are we making intentional steps towards the goal, but we partner with the Father, and we're partnering with, with truth. And so those things that were true or facts that were stopping us from buying a house in Auckland are being challenged by the truth we have in Jesus. They're just facts. Jesus is truth. And guess which one wins? You know, guess which one wins? It's not a trick question. Guess which one wins? Yeah. And so our list, our list of things that were truth, if you think of weighing up the list or the negatives about the facts of trying to buy this house, and so this is like a short, condensed version of our list of how we counted it. Is it like the truth is he's our provider? That's, that's number one. That's an easy given, eh? He's our provider. And who knows that? In, okay, another truth. In, hope, in Jesus, we have hope. So there's hope in this circumstance. And, and with Jesus, we have favor with the, the Father. And if you've got favor with God who created the stuff, I mean, that puts you in a pretty good place, you know? And also, you know, the kingdom model of finances. And I love this. One plus one equals 12 in the kingdom. You know, I'm just looking for the faith that 1 plus 1 equals 120. You know, that's possible, amen? That's possible. So that's just an increase of faith. So the possibility, the possibility is not limited to what I have in my hands. It's not limited to what I have in my hands, but the resources are the one that I'm in relationship with. It's, it's, it's the one I'm walking with, walking with Jesus that establishes my possibility. And when I steward what I do have in my hand, when I partner with him, when I take what's in my hand and I partner with him, the fish and the bread feed multitudes. 
The fish and the bread feed multitudes. And not only do they feed multitudes, but there's a whole bunch of stuff left over. There's an overflow. There's an overflow. There's more than enough. So taking it further for us, this this thought process became generational. It became generational. What were we laying up for our daughter and for her children? And so we went in our thinking about applying truth to the things that were true. Our thinking went from, it's possible, but we're not really convinced. You know, most of our, a lot of our Christianity is like that, eh? Yes, I'm not really convinced. Um, to, it is possible. That's good progress. Now, we could stay there, but we didn't want to. I mean, that's a good place to be. Possibility is a great place to be. But we took it even further to a generational dream that would leave ripples of influence into generations we would never see. To a generational dream that would leave ripples of influence into generations we'll never see. Wow, that's a big shift from, I think it's possible, but I don't really believe it. Which is really just saying it's a really nice idea, but it's too far away. It's a bit like saying, I know God loves me, but he's really far away on that cloud, on that big throne with a big beard. But he's not. Our options and the excitement of what we can do just gets amazing. Because it's not about the quantity we have in our hand. It's about what we're stewarding in our hand in relationship with him and how we're walking in truth. And he can do amazing things. He can do amazing things. He could, we could just be given a house with no mortgage. Wow, if you're feeling convicted right now by the Holy Spirit, then, you know, um, you know, thank you, Jesus. Yeah. <clears throat> right now, the facts haven't changed. The facts haven't changed, but our thinking has. And because our thinking has changed, possibility comes, you know. Hope has been infused. Possibility has been infused. Changes absolutely everything. It changes everything. And this is kingdom thinking. This is what it looks like to think in the kingdom. There's an alignment of our spirit man with our soul. Our spirit man's rising up. The one who is perfectly connected to the Holy Spirit and the Father and the Son, you know. And he's like taking charge. This is the real us arising and shining. And our soul is learning to submit. Our thinking is learning to submit to truth. And the conclusion, you know, possibility comes alive. Possibility comes alive. We, we live differently when we've taken hold of possibility. And we walk in truth. We walk, we walk a different way in the middle of our circumstance. You know, King David often did this in his songs, you know, in the Old Testament. He was declaring his situation. You know, you read some of his songs. Sometimes you kind of think, wow, this guy's depressed. But you know what? He's honest. And he's saying, this is where I'm at. This is how I feel. But I love what David does. David caught this. Don't forget, this is before the cross. This is before Jesus came and David got it. How much more should we get it with Jesus? And David's like, he partners with truth 
And not only does he speak out his situation, he declares a truth about God and it shifts everything and he starts rejoicing and praising. And you see that many times in the way that he's, he's creating these songs. It's pretty neat. Another example. <clears throat> if you think about humanity and our fallen condition, don't think for too long because it doesn't lead you in a good place. Scripture says this, right? The heart is deceitful above all things. The heart is deceitful above all things. That's true, right? We're all people. We've all lived and we all live with people. We know that the heart is deceitful above all things. So this this verse is actually kind of true. But then when you apply truth, something happens. Because Scripture also, and this this is said in the Old Testament, a prophecy. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. You know the difference between these two things? One of them is when we're by ourselves, and the other one is when we're partnering with God. Because this is God in us. Ezekiel, the verse in Ezekiel, is God in us. The other one is just us. (laughs) Something changes when we're partnering with truth. When we're walking in truth, when we're walking in Jesus, Ezekiel becomes our reality. The heart that is deceitful, it goes. That which was true replaced with truth. You know, our situations are at the mercy of truth. Wow. Think about that. Your your situation's at the mercy of truth. And truth doesn't apply mercy to bad situations. (laughs) It, it, It radically messes with them. Come on, Jesus is the perfect example of that, amen? So a number of years ago, <clears throat> I, walked, I walked through a circumstance. This is quite a few years ago. I don't know how many. Lara's not here to tell me. Um, I walked through a circumstance was, that was true. But truth was there in the middle of it. Truth was there in the middle of it. <coughs> now... Now, as a, as a man, I fully, well, I fully well know the struggle of man flu. And um, I did read online when I was researching this that, that women often call this the wimpy man syndrome. But it's, it's real. This is, this is real. Don't, don't laugh. This is real. It is so real, it is such an issue that there has been studies done on this. The urban, the urban Dictionary, I don't know how true the Urban Dictionary is, but it says, men do not moan when they have man flu. They emit involuntary groans of agony that are, that are entirely in proportion to the unbearable pain they're in. <clears throat> I think that's true. And so I came across this article that, that made this statement to why man flu needed to be studied. And I've done studies on this. It needs to be studied. It's, this is serious, guys. There needs to be a deep scientific study on man flu. And so I came across this statement. Why? Online. And it says, since about half of the world's population is male, 
deeming male viral respiratory symptoms as exaggerated, without rigorous scientific evidence, could have important implications for men, including insufficient provision of care. (laughs) This is serious. We've got to think about our young boys that are going to become men. We've got to think generationally on this issue. Now, now to be fair, to be fair, I have to give an argument for the other side, right? So I copied and pasted this from Wikipedia, because we know that is the source of all truth. <clears throat> and so I found this on Wikipedia, and it says that this condition can only truly be called man flu when the sufferer in question has a partner from whom he hopes to solicit extra attention to care for his supposedly grievous symptoms. <clears throat> When the sufferer is alone, then this condition can only be the common cold or flu. <coughs> yeah. We've got to, we, you know, we should donate to get this studied. It's a big issue. <laughs> anyway, so whatever your views are on man flu, a number of years ago I experienced something much worse than man flu. Now, guys, I know it's really hard to picture that there could be something worse than man flu, right? But, but I did. I experienced it. I got, I got really sick. <clears throat> I got really sick. And I had this high temperature. Um, it got up to like 42 degrees, maybe spiked a little bit above it. Apparently, that's really high. <clears throat> I'm not a doctor, so I don't know. I felt hot. And, and my entire body was in pain, like crippling pain. And I had cold sweats. And I had this, this, this thing called rigors, which is actually really cool. You shake heaps. Uh, apparently, it's not a good sign, but it was actually kind of fun. <clears throat> but apparently, it's not a good sign that you're doing okay. <clears throat> so I couldn't eat or drink. Like a sip of water, and I'd just instantly throw up. So this was going on. And so I'm not normally one for going to the doctor. And Lara is, um, I want to say nagging, but it's not the right word. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just I, I I'm an external processor, so I was processing. Okay. I wanna, she's she's my amazing wife. You know, she had my best interest at heart. And she goes, Go to see the doctor. And I'm like, No. So on day three, after being told many times. I actually came to the thought that Lara's probably right. <clears throat> and because I was actually really kind of stuck on the ground. <coughs> and I thought, that's a good idea. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to the doctor and I'm going to ask for a saline drip and I'm going to get rehydrated and I'm going to go back home. That's what I thought I was going to do. I just want to, I'm dehydrated. I'll get this drip and then I'll go home and go back to bed and I'll be fine. Anyway, so we go to the GP and she assesses me and in a short period of time, a very short period of time, she goes, um, actually, right now, you should be in the hospital. You should not be here. You shouldn't be here. You should be in the hospital. And so she gives us this letter, and we go to the hospital. And I end up in the ED. And um, they drug me up with heaps of medication and to reduce the pain and the nausea and all that stuff. And they give me a whole lot of blood tests because they were testing for all these infections. And apparently, some of them were quite bad that I could have had. But, you know... And the drugs were working. The walls were moving. (laughs) 
don't do drugs. <laughs> Mixed message, eh? And so they rehydrate me, and I'm in the ED for like five hours while they just do whatever they're doing. And, and they wanted to admit me into the ward, but luckily Lara's got a medical background, so they let me go home because she could look after me. <clears throat> She's so long-suffering, isn't she? And so they could tell me what I didn't have, but they couldn't tell me what I did have. And so what they could do, they could only treat my symptoms. And they told me it was going to take a couple of months for my body to come right and recover. A couple of months. I was going to take, it was going to take several weeks for me to get over this. And so I go home, and during this whole process, even though I was really well medicated and the walls were moving in the room, I kind of did like certain parts of this. I could, I could hear clearly in the spirit, victory of the soul, victory of the soul. Right through this process, those three days, and in the ED, and after, I just kept hearing in the spirit the victory of the soul. I heard it over and over again. And so what happened during this process is the position of my soul during this time was in such a different place to my body. My body was dying, well, not quite dying, it was in misery, but I wasn't in my inner being, and in, in, in who I was, I was in a really good place. So much so that when um, the GP who saw me before I went to the hospital, she said she was confused. She could not believe how well I was considering how bad I was. And she said to us, she said, I see people come in here that their symptoms are nowhere near as bad as yours, and they look miserable. And she was confused because my conduct, my attitude, where I was in myself was so different to where my body was. You know, I just wanted a drip and to go home. I had every opportunity to partner with misery. After all, this was way worse than man flu. (laughs) And we know, we've just heard how serious that issue is globally. This is a worldwide epidemic. And I was in a worse place than that. But instead, I partnered with this word victory that I was hearing. This victory of the soul. At the time, I didn't even know what it meant. But there was something about that word, those words, the victory of the soul, that really just spoke into my entire being at the time. And here's the cool thing. I recovered within two weeks. So good. In fact, just over a week after being in the ED, I was actually back preaching without the medication. I didn't, well, not the, not, not the happy medication. Well, that's what I'm telling people. <laughs> I'm not on anything now. No. I thought I'd just better let um, Kevin know before I get an email. <laughs> I seem to get one every Monday. It's just like, okay. So walking in truth does not mean the absence of problems. It doesn't mean the absence of problems, but it means the absence of a problem to influence me. It means the absence of a problem to influence you. And it means the inability of my circumstance to define my peace. It removes the power of circumstance to rob. And the word circumstance just basically means, literally means, your surrounding environment. You think about that. It only means the environment around you. It doesn't mean your internal one. 
Psalm 23, 5. Most of us will know this, eh? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You've anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. So that word prepare in Hebrew means arrange or set in order. Arrange or set in order. Preparing, has, preparing a table has a sense of intentional action. Intentional action. God, God is, is very deliberately doing something. God's deliberately doing something. And I like this idea that it's in the face of the enemy. Isn't that a great thought? So whatever's trying to rob, steal, and destroy you, God's actually having an intentional moment with you and him. In the middle of the enemies trying to rob, steal, and destroy you, he's having a nice moment with you. And it's not in reaction to the enemy. Here's the thing. God's not reacting to the enemy. He doesn't really care. You're having an encounter with his heart towards you. Nothing shapes his heart. Circumstances don't. He's, you know, he's just, he, he loves on us. The word table there refers to feast. So the contemporary English version writes it this way. You treat me to a feast while my enemies watch. You treat me to a feast while my enemies watch. You honor me as your guest. He honors you as a guest. And you, you fill my cup until it overflows. How is he nourishing or providing for you in that moment? What are you discovering about him? What is he saying to you? You know? For me, it was victory of the soul. And it brought life to me. There was still a fact that my body was in a bad place, but I was alive. It's not being focused on the things that seek to rob and destroy you, but setting your heart and your eyes and your focus and your attention on the one who is your source, the one who is preparing that banquet table before you, the one who has invited you to come and dine, the one who has invited you to come and, and enjoy his provision towards you. And in the middle of that, you know, our lives are lights in that world in the process. You know, our, lights become, our lives become lights in that process. As John said, we become people who walk in the light, not walking in darkness, because we're, we're partnering with truth. We're actioning truth. We're making it part of our lives. Who knows, that probably confused the GP when I went and saw her. And I sat down and just said, give me a saline drip, please. I'm really... Thirsty? <laughs> and then she takes all my vitals. Like, how confusing would that be for her? She probably thought about that afterwards and thought, that didn't make sense. But you know what? That's, we're called to live in a way that, that upsets the normality of lives of people around us. Amen? You know, I bumped into one of our church family the other day at the petrol station. And I'm not going to name names because I haven't asked them, but what I loved is they were telling me about, they were telling me about what was happening in their family at the moment. But I love what they added. So they're sharing this stuff, and there's all these things going on, but I love what they added at the end. 
They said they themselves were in a place of rest and peace in God. Now, they weren't the exact words they used. That's how I remember it. But it was along those lines that they were in a place at rest with God. And I love what they shared because they were being a light in their family. You know, in the middle of fact, in the middle of things that were true, they were, they were leaning into truth. He is my peace right now. He is my assurance. You know, he's the one that makes all things work out. They were being a light in their family. And um, truth is inviting, amen? People see truth, they're captivated by it. They are inquisitive. They're like, what the hang? It's way better than the things that can be true. Who knows that? And see, this person was shining a reality to their family that was greater than the storm they were all going through. In the middle of the storm, they were shining. In the middle of the storm, they were, they were practicing truth. And they were, they were modeling what was available in Jesus. Let's stand, eh? You know, as, as believers, we're called to walk in truth. We're called to walk in truth. To walk in a life in Christ. You know, let's, I think the challenge, and this is a challenge for me too, Let's be intentional. Let's, let's be actionable. Is that a word? Actionable. Let's be in Christ. Let's, let's walk with him and put a, high value, put a high value on truth in the middle of things that are true. Putting a high value on truth in the middle of things that are true, in the middle of facts, in the middle of stuff. Let's just exalt truth in that moment. So that's what I'm walking with. That's the one I'm walking in, Jesus. And transformation has to happen. Now we're just going to pray in a minute. And then um, after we pray, um, Pastor Trent's going to come and share an important message for us. It's only about three hours, isn't it? Yep, okay. <clears throat> so, so don't run off, it's important. So do stick around. <clears throat> Just put out our hands, eh? Let's just set our minds on, on truth. Jesus. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that <laughs> you're just so amazing. We thank you for all the things that are available in you all the things that are available in you that are greater than any situation, are greater than any fact. And Father, we thank you that that truth comes and it transforms fact. Where we don't sink in the waves, but we walk on the water. You notice it was only when Peter shifted his eyes away from Jesus that he began to sink. sink. He He put his attention back on the fact and not on the truth. So Holy Spirit, we ask that you, would, that you would so teach us how to walk in truth, that you would teach us how to have our eyes fixed on truth, 
that we would walk as believers in truth and in light that radically shifts and shapes the environment and the communities around us. And right now, Father, whatever situation any one of us are in right now, we exalt truth. We exalt truth over those facts right now. We exalt truth over those facts right now. Wherever there is deficiency, we declare that you are the increase. Wherever there is infirmity, we declare that you are the healer. Father, wherever there is... um, Wherever there's been a, um, a disconnection from God, Father, we declare that you are the restorer and the reconciler. Yes. Father, wherever there is, um, there is issues of the mind, Lord Father, depression, anxiety, Father, and sleeplessness, we declare that you are our wholeness. Yes. You have made all things new, and we receive that right now in Jesus' name. We receive that in Jesus' name, and we put a demand that truth is greater than any fact. Truth is greater than any fact. And Father, we just ask that in our lives, as we learn to walk in truth, you would be glorified. You would be exalted in our lives and the world around us would see you. They would see the Father. They would see his love. They would see his goodness. And anything that is a a fact in their life becomes a truth in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Right, Trent.